anybody can achieve anything in running really that is that is my belief you know i passionately believe that and that is absolutely anybody can do it absolutely anything that can you know anybody can achieve it and if you think about it actually in some ways the thing that is so special about running is that there's nothing special about it at all you know <laughs> it is literally i mean anybody can do it it's one foot in front of the other you know and every single person with a working pair of legs has already done slow running they call it walking you know so and if you you know the world over we celebrate a child's first steps don't we you know it doesn't matter what country you come from you know it's 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 a it's a thing to celebrate and so running is just fast walking isn't it so if if you can already do it and and you know and then you can be nudged to maybe do it a little bit more then i think that's a good thing i think running is you know it's genuinely good for your soul you know or it was it, put it this way it was good for my soul you know it made me made me feel like a runner and um and good things came for me from doing it and so you know if if i can encourage just one other person to perhaps stick a pair of trainers on and go and discover this kind of you know this fast walking thing that they call running then um then then that's a good thing you know that my friend was rick burkov and this is the inspiration runners podcast Hey everyone, hope you're all well. My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. We have a cracking episode for you this week. Phoenix Running's race director, Rick Fricove. There are a lot of people know Rick on the race circuit, but there are very few that know how remarkable Rick actually is. He's held the world record for 10 marathons in 10 days, running seven of those under sub three, leaving with a sub 30 hour accumulative time. He held the British record for the most marathons ran in the calendar year. I think it was around 152. And he's also ran in some crazy places such as Marathon de Sables, Great Water China and the North Pole. An amazing and genuine person. Make sure you check out his website at phoenixrunning.co.uk. Before we start, I'd just like to announce the Inspirational Runners next event, the Finn McCool Virtual Team Challenge, which is a 1,350 kilometer challenge, which is equivalent of running a marathon in each of the 32 counties in Ireland. Your team of four will have 16 weeks to complete the challenge, which is a minimum of 13.1 miles a week for each team member. For the loony leprechauns out there, you'll have an option of chasing down the golden shamrock by taking on the challenge on your own. Are you as brave as the giant Finn McCool, 1,350 kilometers in 16 weeks? Sounds epic, don't give it a second thought. Registration link's in the show notes. Not to delay you any further, it's with great pleasure, I give you Rick Perko. I've seen you post up there about John Wardy before we start there. Do you know John? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't claim to know him really well, but he certainly came along and did quite a few of our runs and I know he was sort of very well known around the same sort of running circuit that I guess I guess I as both a race director and a, a previous runner sort of hung out in so um quite you know, a shock. yeah I mean a huge shock and I mean you know from what I knew of John and certainly from having observed his running you know he sort of hit the scene a few years back with a with a real splash you know he he sort of came along and he was running you know, reasonably decent times. And all of a sudden, you know, he clearly put the work and the effort in and he started to hit sub threes and, you know, really, really worked hard on his running and started to do some super distance ultras and stuff like that. So, I mean, just a complete bolt from the blue, I think, that's really hit the running community hard. And it's just a real shock. 
Yeah, no, I relate to that as well. I remember he done like the ten and ten, I think it was, and he won seven of them. I think they were ultras as well. I don't even think they were yeah. marathons. I actually met him when um, we were doing a thing called the Harry Haggis, where you do the five k, ten k, half, and full Edinburgh marathon. Okay. So me and him done it at the same time, but I actually interviewed him between the five k and ten k, and it was so full on. And like you have moments all the way through your sort of running career that you meet people. And then you're good friends forever after that. And that yeah. was that sort of connection. But like, you know, you see his posts on Facebook and um, you have sort of, as you say, you know, you know, people really, really well, even though, you know, you're not phoning them up every week. But that's like that man was on top form. Yeah, it was amazing. I got watched him during the race across Scotland the first time he'd done it. And he got lost in the forest just before the finish line. And he'd actually come down off the mountain to help somebody. And then he came back up. And they give him some extra time to finish, but he got lost with about three or four miles to go. And there's this right. zigzag in the forest. He's going round and round. <laughs> like somebody send somebody in and save that man. Like, um, so a real, real big loss to the running community. Like, so and shock, I think, is the biggest word. Yeah, and I think you know the the outpouring that we've seen in just the last few days since the news came out. Um, you know, multiple posts on Facebook from a whole raft of different people, and I think the thing certainly my impression of John was he was one of those people who was a very versatile athlete. You know, he had really good 5K, 10K times as well as being able to go out and knock out, you know, a race across Scotland, you know, 214 miles or whatever, plus the extra bits. So, yeah, I think he met a lot of people in a very short space of time and was a really, you know, well-respected, talented, you know, work-hard ethic kind of a guy. Um, and I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know the details, but it just it, a real shock, you know, just all of a sudden like that for him to be here one minute and gone the next is just terrible news. On the flip side of that, though, it does show you how close knit the running community has become, doesn't it? You know, when there's somebody that we've had close encounters with for a very brief time, you know, it just sends a ripple out to so many people. Yeah. <clears throat> shows yeah, you how I connected think, everybody is. Yeah. And I think, you know, how, how, you know, no matter what your your sort of achievements and the things that you do, how fragile, you know, life really is. It's a real sort of wake-up call, isn't it? A bit of perspective in there, I think. So, like 2004, you ran your first marathon, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. London, it's very sort of um, tip, atypical journey, I think, for, and certainly from the number of sort of spreadsheets that I see these days with people that have begun their, their multi-marathon journey, if you like, I think London is a... It's definitely a sort of a gateway race you know it's our it's our big kind of uh, local race i suppose for me uh being out in surrey it's not too far to get to and uh yeah 2004 quite an experience seems like yesterday what inspired that well i um the sort of to run a marathon i guess was had been on my list of things that i knew someday i would do for a very very long time and i remember as a very young boy seeing the very first london marathon and it was televised on the bbc uh, would have been what 1981 i think something like that and i remember and i think even back then i'm not even sure it was in april i think it might have been at the end of march or something like that but anyway i saw this thing on tv and was kind of captivated as a i suppose i would have been about probably 10 then and it was one of those things i thought to myself right you know i'm gonna do that because what struck me from the televisation in that very first race was that it, you know they're sure they were the athletes at the front but it was just a, a massive group of i don't know six or seven thousand people and they looked like pretty ordinary people to me. And that st struck a chord with a young boy who said, right, one day I'm going to do that. And then 
I guess uh, a lot of years passed and, uh, you know, I, I was a smoker and sort of life got in the way and I never quite got around to it. And then finally in 2004, I had been with my, well, my current wife, my, my then girlfriend and said, oh, you know, I really must do the London Marathon one day. And she piped up and said, well, I can get you a friends and family space. And I said, what? And she, uh, she works and still does work for Unilever, who used to make flora. So she said, oh, yeah, I'm sure I can get you a friends and family space. And I thought, oh, right, OK. And sure enough, I mean, I still had to go into a small ballot to get that spot. But I think it was like 50-50 chance and I got one. And, uh, yeah, and the rest was history, really. I, I did it and I did very little training for it. And I managed through a huge amount of naivety and pig-headedness to get round in about 3.49, which was a bit of a miracle, to be to be fair, um, considering how out of shape I was. And uh, and I hated it and loved it, just like I guess a load of people did all at the same time. And I got to the finish line and said, I'm never going to do that again. And then, uh, sure enough, a year or two, I think, passed. And then I did do it again and then again. And it was a kind of a handful of marathons over the next sort of five or six years, I think. And then um, and then started it started to sort of get the bug around 2009 and then all the multi-day stuff kicked off from there really yeah were you aware of that, those sort of things when you were just doing the handful of marathons what was actually out there no absolutely no idea i mean i guess probably like you know 99% of the of, of the population you sort of hear about people doing more than one marathon a year and certainly i had never heard of anybody doing 100 marathons and i think I think probably around 2009, I had done a couple more marathons. And basically, I think I was at the Salisbury 54321, which is a, a really hilly marathon, really, really good fun. And that was probably the first time I spotted the yellow and blue 100 Marathon Club shirt and sort of thought, no, I kind of read that right, you know. And yeah, 100 marathons. Some, some guy that was about twice my age came, you know, hearing past me. And I thought, how is that even happening, you know? And I sort of read the back of his shirt and promptly dismissed it as delirium because clearly nobody can run 100 marathons and still be alive. And, and then obviously I saw more shirts after that. And as, as I started to do more marathons, I uh, I thought, actually, do you know what? Maybe I'll aspire to that. And then I guess the rest is kind of history in terms of the number of marathons I then sort of went on to start. It sounds like the universe was trying to draw you in there. Yeah, all these yeah. little flags and milestones along the way. Come on, Rick. Right. You look past in your history, you'll see photographs of you down in Bournemouth Beach and somebody going past with a 100 marathon vest on. You didn't even notice them. All these subliminal yeah. messages trying to draw you in. But you like 2009, there's something special about that year because a lot of the books that you read and you hear about the famous Bad Water in 2009 and all these big races around that time. I suppose books started coming out around about those races around that was start to inspire people as well the likes of dean Carnazes and things like that yeah and the likes of jerry duffy releasing his book in 2010 there seemed to be an uprise in more than the marathon sort of yeah ideas. do you know i i think you're right actually i mean there's a lot of kind of a lot of the the sort of fellow runners that i sort of went on to run a lot with i guess around the kind of 2011 12 13 14 kind of era for me which i suppose was when i was doing the most of the most of my own running i think you're probably right i think 2009 yeah absolutely books i mean i read dean Carnaz's book and that probably inspired me and i think i think probably the trigger point for me and it probably was linked to that kind of publicity around the fact that actually multi-marathons and some of these 
some of these crazier things that have become much more normal to do today, but perhaps, you know, seven or eight years ago weren't quite as normalized. So one of the trigger points for me was I, I decided I wanted to do something fairly significant. So I had set myself probably around 2009, the challenge of doing the North Pole Marathon. So I signed up for Richard Donovan's. Do you know Richard Donovan? Yeah, he's from Galway. So yeah, he's he a he's, major marathon challenge. Yeah, now. I mean, he's a, he's a great lad and such a nice guy as well, as well as being a super talented ultra runner. And I met, his met name, Richard. His name, over the last couple of weeks, his name's popped up about five times. So I sent him a message the other day. <laughs> right, Richard, you need to get in this podcast. Like, cause he run the first unofficial North Pole. And then right. he went and ran the South Pole with... Dean Carnazes and that crew, exactly right. So he was he was the kind of so in Dean's book he's the kind of the the runner that gets mentioned that you don't quite hear <laughs> enough of the story about. Don't don't give him enough praise. Don't give him too much. That's praise. That's right, like, and you know, and I think so. I I sort of thought right, I'm going to sign up for the North Pole Marathon, which was on April the seventh, two thousand and ten, and I signed up for it. I think a, a well over a year in advance, and sort of met Richard or or, in, or sort of chatted to Richard and got quite inspired by him and i thought right if i'm gonna do this thing i'm gonna i'm gonna do it properly so i i had like a 14 month training plan and i you know i analyzed my gear to the nth degree and got totally prepared and in in i think 2009 i did some really insane stuff like i gave up smoking you know and i <laughs> and I, and I, and I gave up alcohol during my training and all this kind of stuff so i took it really really seriously and I think for me that was the real trigger point you know I, I sort of went out there and just had had a brilliant time at the North Pole you know something completely different once in a lifetime type of race and managed to do fairly well in it and sort of came back and thought actually you know this kind of you know ultra distance stuff and doing marathons in strange places it it, it sort of levels the field you know and I, I came back feeling like a runner and from there I think from sort of 2010 onwards, I then sort of built on that. So I went off and did stuff, you know, stuff like the MDS in 2013. And then did you, that. you came second in that race. It wasn't you done well. Like you came second. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> That's exceptionally well. Like, and um, it was, uh, yeah, it was a surprise, you know, it was, it was good. But you must have then went through a real journey of improving your health over that 14 month period, you know, because if you give up smoking, you become really focused and you were yeah. training your body and then even staying away from alcohol for that period. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, the start of that journey to when you crossed that finish line in second place, there must have been almost two different people. Oh, completely. Yeah. I mean, he, it, it was a huge, a huge transformation. But actually, ironically, it, it probably only the first part of the transformation. So, I mean, that that, I guess, was the bit that took me from a, you know, an enthusiastic 20 plus a day smoker to someone who could 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 run um and then i think the next phase of my journey was was really when uh probably when i got back after that and i actually thought to myself well you know i'm going to keep going with this so kind of what's next and i didn't initially have the next big challenge probably the next big challenge after that was was something like mds which was a few years later but i kept going with the mileage and i kept going with the marathons and that's the bit where I did my own sort of multi-marathon, uh, got myself, you know, got back and said, right, now I'm going to get myself to 100 marathons. And I think in 20, 2011, my next big challenge was I decided that I was going to run 30 marathons in 30 consecutive weekends. And that was a big charity fundraiser I did through work um, for 
the Elizabeth Foundation, which was a which was a foundation down in Portsmouth where I worked at the time. And that thirty and thirty was when I really started to meet members of the Hundred Marathon Club because when you're going and running a marathon every weekend, who do you meet? Well, you meet the other people that are doing that. So before that point, I'd not really met them. I'd seen some shirts, and after that point, I met. People like Dave Lewis and, and um, uh, Janet Cobby and used to run around with those guys. And not only was I notching up my own marathons, but I started to meet all of those people from the club. So 2011 sort of took me through a continued phase of my journey, if you like, into the multi-marathon. And then 2012 I did. So I think in 2011 I ended up doing 54, I think it was, or 52. So that's when I did my own first 52 and 52 the following year I did 56 and then 2013 which was my kind of big year was when I ended up doing 152 and I did yeah, yeah. six different 10 you in see, 10 and all sorts of stuff yeah you're going way too quick for me here because I'm gonna I'm not letting <laughs> you away that easy like I want to break my life story in one sentence yeah I'm gonna break that down um I can relate to what you were saying there though and I think a lot of us have a catalyst and they're quite a that take you different stages and that crossing the North Pole and you having that transformation makes it just injects a load of self-belief into yourself like what next you know what am I capable of doing like two years ago I would never have thought I was capable of doing this and actually coming second with that control and that focus and that determination because that became possible the whole all these doors starting to open up what is actually possible and you start challenging that then in 2010 you went to the Great Wall of China as well you know something different and inspiring it's one of those tick the boxes like i'm telling you your life story now and <laughs> in 2011 <Go> for it. <laughs> as you mentioned there you know you had been inspired by the 100 marathon club there's actually a i think there's a forum or a site for the inspiring uh, 100 marathoners isn't it the people that are on that journey yeah um but you do the more these people you meet the more um inspired you become and the more you're these doors open and more spot and more opportunity just arises and when you're in that way of thinking it's very ho- hard to stop that train because it... yeah that's right yeah i mean i think you know the thing that sort of struck me probably initially about these people especially when i started to interact a lot with with sort of 100 marathoners is they were just normal people like me you know and i mean that with the greatest respect in the world these were people who had effectively decided I'm going to go and do that. And then they were basically going and doing it. And that was, that's, a, that's an attitude that I, I like and admire and aspire to. And so I thought, absolutely, why can't I do the same? And I think coming, it's interesting you mentioned the Great Wall of China, because that was a, that was a more leveling experience for me because I came from the North Pole having come second and thinking exactly what you've just said, you know, it fills you with confidence. And we went to the Great Wall of China, it was only about four or five weeks later and so I went there filled with this newfound confidence. And actually, you know, I got myself right to the front, you know, I literally started with the, you know, with the proper athletes. And I went out and the first half was reasonably all right. And then I totally and utterly blew up in the last kind of 7K. So you come back through this square and you go back up over the wall in the last kind of 7, 8K. And I just fell apart, you know, and I, I've been running along in about, 15th 16th spot i think thinking yeah you know i'm gonna have another half decent finish and just you know and then you know running came along and basically punched me in the face you know and i remember standing on that wall you know holding on to the ground at one point sort of seeing stars you know so hot and 
And I think that was a really good leveler, you know. <laughs> you know, my wife was actually getting quite worried because she saw me come back through the square and thought, oh, yeah, he'd be back in like under an hour now. And then, you know, hour and a half later, I still wasn't back. So, so that was quite good, actually, in a lot of ways, because it sort of brought me back down to earth and said, right, actually, do you know what? You've got to carry on working hard if you're going to keep doing some of these events, you know. Most definitely. Um, there's many people who have got many memories around the Great Wall of China, and that's yours. <laughs> Hanging on yeah, to it for right, dear life. Yeah. Holding on to it, trying not to fall <laughs> off, basically, was my, was my key memory. So 2013, as you were just about to move into there, it was an absolute epic year for you. Like, So you actually broke the world record for running the most marathons in a in a given year, calendar year? Yeah, I think that was a, I think the most marathons in a calendar year was a British record. Um, it didn't turn out to be a world record because there was another chap across uh, across the pond who released his stats in October that year and kind of blew that <laughs> record, blew that record out of the water. But I think there's there've been a number of question marks raised about that <laughs> since then and you'll probably and i'm sure a lot of the listeners will all know the details of that um and if you don't then it's probably not, it's not, better not, not to. we probably don't want to talk about it here <laughs> but i think i think in fairness you know there that was my initial aim with that year so my wife and i had been trying for a family in the previous couple of years um unsuccessfully at that point and we got to the beginning of 2013 and we sort of made a bit of a deal if you like and i, I i'd sort of done 50 odd marathons the previous two years and wanted to just go for something really big the then world record i think was 114 which was travis and we looked at that and thought actually there probably are enough marathons in the uk just about you could just about scratch enough marathons running every saturday and sunday and then a couple of extra weekday ones to probably beat it and Ultimately, as the year unfolded, it turned out there were quite a lot more marathons available. But that was that was the initial aim was to just go out and do as many as possible. So it was it. The intention was was for it to be a volume year. And that's how it started. So went out and was just finding as many marathons as I could, you know, sitting there for hours on end, signing up to every single race that was counted as official. And as the year unfolded, a number of things happened. One, I ran myself into a really decent level of fitness there was some multi-day stuff that I slotted in mostly initially to try and rack up the volume. So I signed myself up for the Braithay 10 in 10, which I have to say, we can come on and talk about that in a minute, but that was a, that was a life changing experience in some ways for me, certainly from my running perspective, that was followed, I think a week later by the London marathon, uh, sorry, a week later by the MDS. And then a week after that was the London marathon and then in the summer, I went and did the one and only Irish 10 in 10 over at Six Mile Bridge. So went over and met a lot of the Irish lads over there and just had a brilliant time running around there for 10 days. And um, and then the year was, was was sort of culminated, as you've said, when I when I actually did decide to go sort of further afield to try and try and rack up a last kind of. Um, group of marathons to notch the numbers up a bit further and I went over to Long Beach yeah. and set the 10 in 10 world record which was a uh, the icing on the cake really yeah I'm gonna I've got already got a job on my hands today to strip that right back again <laughs> <laughs> sorry there's so much detail and so much learning there but one one key thing you said there about was you know you're just trying to rack up the um, miles and you've seen people like Jerry Duffy or Dean Carnazes who've done these very similar mindset really but what came out of that, what we weren't really aware could happen was that your body adapts so well to doing that. 
and you're not expecting strength. Like if I said to myself I was going to go out and run 50 marathons this year, you'd expect to get tired and slow. But generally in these mad, crazy ideas, that's not what happens. Your body adapts and gets stronger. That's right. Conditioning, yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, like, you ran the Marathon de Sables there. Marathon de Sables was pretty early on in the year. You came 39th, actually, out of 1,024. And that's a big, epic race with a lot of mental people <laughs> at it, like... But that yeah. that experience, what's your thought about being that? I'm putting you on the spot now. The most diff- hardest foot, uh, the most hardest foot race on the planet. See, I, I I wouldn't say it's the hardest foot race on the planet. But then I've not done every foot race on the planet, so I can't draw a, a, a you know an experience comparison. But I mean, I didn't find it that hard. But then I think. Again, the MDS was a, was another good milestone for me in my own running journey because I took it again. I took it very seriously. I had plenty of time to train for it, and I I worked out a training program that was mostly based around. I was already doing the mileage. I was already doing all the marathons, so I didn't really have to have to worry about almost the running training side of it. So I focused very much for MDS on training with my pack, building up the weight in my pack to about seven and a half kilos, which is what I planned to take breaking all that down to the nth degree so that I knew exactly what I was taking. You know, I did a, I even did a dress rehearsal where I did a week at work about four months before the race where I lived on all the real rations. And when I wasn't at work, I went out and ran, you know, about four or five marathons that week, did a couple of long swims and various other things to simulate the exercise. So really kind of planned to perfection. But the most interesting thing about, about the MDS is a lot of people that I was running with, probably through sort of 2011 through to about 2013, will probably tell you that there was a point in time where all of a sudden I seemed to get a lot faster. And I can tell you exactly when that point in time was. It was because I, I ran for six months with a seven and a half kilo backpack on. So I did something like 75 marathons wearing that backpack so when I got to MDS it was as good as a part of me of anything else and I was so used to it well when I got back from MDS I had no use for it anymore so I took it off so what I got was an instant seven to eight k weight loss literally overnight and I remember going out and running I think after I got back from MDS, I did London the week after with my backpack on. And that was the last time I ever ran with it. And pretty much straight after that was the Braithay 10 in 10. So I went from running for six months worth of decent run training, effectively weighing 8K or a stone more than, you know, than I ended up. And then all of a sudden it was like it was like letting me out of the blocks. You know, I felt lighter because I was lighter and I went and ran around these you know, these, these courses and I just felt that I was like, I was flying, you know, instantly took like, you know, 10, 15 minutes off most of my times and was just kind of going from one PB to the next PB to the next PB. And it was, um, it was brilliant. So if anybody wants to know how to suddenly get really <laughs> far, run around with a seven K backpack on for about six months and then take it off. And, it's uh, so simple though, isn't it? Yeah, it is really. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, uh, I've been doing a lot of mountain training in the last while, and I do go with my pack on, always. And I took it off the other day because my wife was with me. And it was, a, like, as you said, it was a new lease of life. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I, I sort of enjoyed the fruits of, of that sudden 
you know, loss of the backpack after having it for every single event for about six months. And I sort of enjoyed that for a while. And you're right. It then, then that becomes a bit more normal and you've got to sort of think about refreshing your training probably every six weeks or so. And actually the next thing that I then did probably after Braithay and heading into the middle of 2013 was I really did start to focus on my own running weight and I started to introduce quite a lot of core strength and, and strength training. I did that a little bit before MDS to try and put some actual strength in my legs to sort of get me over those dunes. But particularly over over the rest of that year and, and then in preparation for a, a sort of a big ultra event I did in September, October called Relentless, which is all the running through all the counties. Prior to that, I'd had a bit of a niggle after the Irish 10 in 10 and, and the very start of a stress fracture, which we managed to catch really early. So I did have some take, to take some time out, but I focused a lot on core strength, I did swimming and stuff like that. All, all the kind of stuff that probably you're really supposed to do, but not everybody does do. And I did that for a few months and that that really helped. That was a, that was another element to my training. Um, you know, I, I, I focused on my own sort of weight and then and then focus very much on lean you know your lean sort of body weight and your lean strength and that made a massive difference going into relentless which was effectively running pretty much all the time so um, what was relentless was it 30 miles and 30 yeah days? so relentless was relentless was um i don't know if you've ever met or heard of a chap called steve warallo he runs ultra running limited so he's based up in Worcester, um, and it's quite a sort of small niche organization. And I started to hear about his ultra running races probably in sort of 2011, 2012, and they were predominantly based around ultras. So um, so a lot of 40-miler, 50-milers, Richmond Ultra, you know, wherever you happen to be, Shropshire Ultra, he's got one. And I read, I read about an event that he had advertised called relentless and nobody had ever finished it and i was doing one of his his other races and i remember it was during a night stage and i came into one of the checkpoints and there were a couple of girls further behind me and because it was dark and it was a very small race and i was sitting on the tailgate of steve's range rover or land rover and we were having a chat and he said look you wouldn't do me a favor would you he said, you wouldn't you wouldn't wait at the checkpoint for these the next two girls are going to come through in about 20 minutes and you wouldn't wait and run with them, would you? And I said, yeah, of course I will. You know, that's not a problem. So we ended up having this big old chat and a long story short, he was telling me all about relentless and it was, it's 20, it was 29 days of running basically. So, and the, the idea was, was to start up on the, the North borders up on the Pennines and over 29 days run through every County in England. So you sort of <laughs> zigzag your way down and you finish uh, and sort of then go down and round and up and finish basically in the right in the centre of London. We finished in the sort of near, near the Olympic Stadium at the um, Copper Box, I think it's called Copper Box, something like that. And um, uh, you know, we, we we were chatting about it, and I thought, crikey, you know, can you can't imagine anybody being able to do that. And then of course, my brain started whirring after that conversation, and I revisited it a couple of times with him. And he'd still never had anybody sign up for it. And then, and of course, you also need a month off work to do it, which I was, was never going to be able to get. And then I remember, I think it would have been right around New Year of 2012. And I got, a, uh, we got a big work email pinged out about, so I, at that point, I worked for a massive corporation called Serco. And it was that Serco's 25th year was going to be 2013. And we got this big email from the the, the the ceo who happened to be a runner 
we want ideas for ambassadors, people from the, you know, people from the company. And I thought, hello, <laughs> this could be an opportunity. And I was on the exec team of a, of a, a company that had been bought by Circo a couple of years earlier. So I wrote him an email straight back that night and said, hey, I've got an idea. OK, Relentless was 29, but we'll ignore that. I, I may have made out it was 25. So I said, you know, how about I run 25 marathons in 25 days? And, I, you know, I'll foot the bill all myself. We'll use it as a big promo for the third quarter for Circo 25. But all I'd need from the business is the time off to do it. And I went to bed that night. But, you know, by the time I got up the next day, he had already picked up the email, sent it out to whomever and said, you know, we've got this guy who's going to make it happen. They paid, the, they paid for everything. They put treadmills in a lot of our centers all around the UK. We had a few people came out and ran with me. And it was just a, it was a wonderful experience, of course. Also a lot of pressure because I had to actually go and do it. And <laughs> in a perfect world, I needed to get round, you know. But, um, but so, the, so a lot of 2013 ended up being about Relentless. A lot of it ended up being training for Relentless. So, um, so doing all the sort of multi-day stuff, and cramming in the volume of marathons was all really part of the the time on your feet and miles in your legs that was required to then go and run around the country you know i absolutely love that because um we actually did an episode yesterday with alex o'shea i'm not sure if you know him he did the 30 i know the name yeah he did 32 marathons in the 32 counties of ireland in 16 days brilliant um but it was that very same he was talking to Ian Keith when he was doing Mal and Head to Mizzenhead, and Ian said, "Well, why don't you just do it?" And he couldn't get the time off work. He said, "Well, why don't you just do it in two weeks then?" And he was yeah. like, "Yeah." But the seed was planted. It was the the point I'm making. I suppose is, you know, there's a point in time where two people meet and a seed's planted, and it just sits there in the back of the mind, and then all of a sudden, it starts materializing, and it turns into something, and it gets its own momentum. And it, that energy and positive energy, and it starts drawing other people in. So you talked about the treadmill and other people coming to join you. And this yeah. thing just builds and builds to that point that you cross the line. Like, that is just an amazing thing. Yeah. And, and you know, and Relentless, it, it was such an amazing experience because, you know, it, you felt like you were on an expedition. You know, first of all, nobody sort of done it before, as in nobody had done Steve's particular race. All of it was was it was all mapped out. So it was a it was a predefined route, but it was kind of paper instructions, and we had the route mapped in our GPS. So you're following a black line, you know. So you ended up doing two or three extra miles every single day without fail. And a couple of months before we were due to due to go out, Steve phoned me up and said, "You know, great news. We've had a second person sign up." And I'm like. You know, like what? <laughs> and um, and it was a chap called Charles who was a French ultra runner. And uh, and so it was me, Charles and Steve basically sort of went out and did this thing, you know, spent a month together. And it sounds um, like a sitcom. Yeah. And it was, you know, <laughs> and, and, and Charles was I mean, in, if you look at our, if you sort of looked at our our then running styles, you couldn't have picked two people with with more different kind of running styles. You know, I just wanted to get it done every day. So I was running at my normalish pace, you know, go out, sort of get the anything between sort of 28 and 36 miles was pretty much what I was, you sort of get it done, four, five, six hours. And then I wanted to be back in whatever the latest joy of a travel lodge was we were staying in that night and just praying there was a you know bath so I could have a cold bath. Whereas Charles was out for the day, you know, so he was like, he was, he was off. 
and he'd be out there for 10 hours and he'd come in looking exactly the same as he did when he went out you know so <laughs> so for it was a it was a real logistics challenge you know from steve's perspective he had to be a mobile checkpoint that that you know catered for two runners that probably a third into the day could be like 20 miles apart you know? <laughs> so it was you know we were very much making it up as as we went along but it was all about you know ultimately it was all about the running you know it was all about covering the distance sticking to the route and getting through every county in england and we did it so differently but we did it as a team ultimately and you know there were some great moments in there where you know where where we sort of thought crikey are we going to make it you know we're going to get to the end and um it was brilliant and the fact that it was a it was an organized event that was you know that people could enter any single day or any single week so we had people that came along every every single day bar probably a handful of days when we genuinely were by ourselves we had other runners coming we got a lot more runners at the weekend we had people that might come for a week we had people that came for three days you know i invited some of my friends and said yeah come and run run with me for a few days and they came along it was just uh, it was a brilliant experience and um you know we covered a we covered a thousand miles you know in a month <laughs> so it was just it was crazy um what, were there any real low points during that it sounded excellent <laughs> Do you know I, I mean i would love to say yes and be able to tell you that you know some story of some point i was on my knees you know begging for my life wishing i'd never started but i have to say i there, there weren't really any low low points for me in that it was it was very much i did it to i did it as a kind of as as a, you want to test your metal don't you? you want to see what you can do and i did it mostly to see if i could go further than 10 in 10 so i'd done you know a few 10 in 10s by then and always fared really well in them and i guess i just wanted to push it to the next step so uh, you know to then go out and try and do 29 and actually that ended up turning into 37 because i tagged a tag some events on the end so it turned out to be i think it was a marathon a day minimum for 35 days and then there was nothing on day 36 it was a friday i remember i looked all around the country and there was not a single organized event i was absolutely beside myself and then Denzel Martin at um, How Hard Can It Be events, he had two events on the on the Saturday, I think it was. So he had a pumpkin marathon in the evening and a spooky one in the uh, in the morning and a spooky marathon in the evening. So I went and did sort of two on that day, one on the Sunday to sort of to to level it off to 37 or 38 or whatever it was. And uh, yeah, and it, you know you got a chance to actually see how your body and mind and soul would perform when you had to keep getting up and doing it again and again and again and it you know the name was perfect because it was it was relentless i mean i think i think the lowest point of each day if you like was that last five or ten minutes when we were heading back to the start point which was always the finish point from the day before so we'd drive to a hotel and then come back again so going back to that same set of coordinates and you had that kind of last five or ten minutes when i was watching the clock on the dashboard sitting on like a heated seat thinking five minutes i've got to go out and start running at four minutes i've got to go out and start running. those those are, and you really didn't want to do it on some days but once you were going first mile you know first mile into your legs and you were fine again yeah i haven't finished uh, i haven't finished for 2013 yet but like like you were really pushing yourself there to try and find your limits but it sounds like um, the country dried up <laughs> before you did you know we're racist yeah, I, mean, I think i think i did you know was I, it's an interesting question isn't it you know, was i was i trying to break myself i guess yes but did i 
not not really but you know it was a it was just a it was a brilliant experience you know it was a it was a brilliant test and yeah i mean i, I guess i could have could have kept running if um mm. if, if i'd sort of wanted to but once once we sort of finished that that group of runs so as i said i did did about another week's worth on the end of it with with other organized events that i managed to find and what was the most fascinating thing of all was with relentless i'd pretty much just spent a month running you know reasonably kind of base level miles you know none of them were, were particularly brisk but it was a it was a month worth months worth of massive mileage you know we, we we were hitting sort of 200 miles a week you know for four to five weeks it was a bit like having you know 200 mile training weeks for a month and then off the back of that I then went to what did I do so I went to so day 29 when we finished was a Friday and I remember getting on the train at Stratford with a massive north face holdall because Steve basically dropped me off you know so right we, you know we, <laughs> done, you know, we sort of we sort of celebrated at the at the at the, the the copper box and there was a little bit of press and a little bit of, of stuff and then it was like right you know you've got to get the tube home now mate see you later so I remember so I sat on that train which would have been the Friday and then I think I can't remember what I had. I think it was um, there was there was an event on the Saturday, Brentwood. I think Brentwood might have been the Sunday. Then I flew over to Dublin on the Sunday night, back when Dublin was still on the bank holiday Monday. So this would have been day twenty nine, thirty. So this was day thirty two. So Dublin was day thirty two, and Dublin. I was standing there with Tiago Dionisso, who is a very good Portuguese runner who's done about 700 marathons now. And uh, and I had never run a sub three marathon at that point. So I'd run about 250 something marathons, never run a sub three. And I thought, you know, what? I'm going to have a go today because, I, you know, it's day 32, but I'm feeling good. <laughs> and, uh, and I ran around Dublin in 250, 256, I think it was. And, you know, and I couldn't believe it. You know, I'd. I've been running marathons for 31 days and on day 32 I took something like I think my PB was 305 so I said something like nine minutes off my PB on day 32 flew back from Dublin on the Monday went up to Foxy's three lakes challenge on the Tuesday Wednesday Thursday and ran 304 302 258 so I ran my second sub three on day 35 or whatever that was you know three days later um couldn't find anything on the friday as i said and then went up to denzel's and ran kind of two in like 320 and 330 on the saturday um and i think going right back to the point you you talked about earlier about you condition your body to be able to do that sort of thing and it's just phenomenal you know the human body can be trained in so many ways but when you think you can train it to kind of just get up again and again and again and run at those sorts of paces for that length of time over and over again it's just it's amazing you know we all get to we all get one you know we all get to drive one every day and it's just it's just amazing but i've heard that story so many times you know um it was class listening to dean carnazes when he'd done the 50 marathons new york was his last one in the 50 states and he smashed that was his fastest time and it so yeah. surprised him like you know to run it was a flat three-hour marathon as well and um, he didn't break the sub three so he didn't beat rick but um <laughs> but what was in the back of my head was the likes of this gb rap that's going on at the minute um so the virtual race across tennessee 
Yeah. So some people have done the thousand kilometers, they're back again. And because it's so open, some people are now on their third trench back. And it's almost becoming a la- it's going to become a last one standing event. And yeah. but you have to be very careful of that. Do you know, because like, where does it end? Yeah. That locked in mentally, you have to be careful that you don't break yourself. And one key thing, we don't want people going out and running like 200 miles a week for every, every week for four weeks and expecting a sub three. This is a progressional thing. Yeah. And it's about load. You know, your body slowly but surely over those few years conditioned itself bit by bit, just slightly stretching the comfort zone, really, what your body could take. And it was just moving that goal point um goal post a bit more so a sub four hour for a lot of people is amazing it took me i think it was my third marathon fourth marathon before i broke sub four but that's what i was conditioned to running and when your body's conditioned that way then it allows you to go but you have to do it you have to you just can't make that huge leap to yeah. be able to do that that's a key point yeah you're exactly right i mean my my sort of journey to to the to the tail end of 2013 was you know, it was it was it was five years of training. You know, I may not have known at the time when I started that that's what I would ultimately end up training for, but it was very much the culmination of slow increases in load and mileage, um, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, absolutely. And then all about the conditioning. Yeah, because if you think of the standard, you pick up a magazine, the standard for running a marathon, sixteen week plan. Most people are starting from scratch. And you're trying to hit that peak at the end of the 16 weeks and you get you get a specific time out of that based on what your training was but if you're just running all the bloody time like you're a running man your body the body is truly designed to do that we've just lost our way in yeah such a, a soft society that we live in today yeah i couldn't agree i couldn't agree more and i think it's probably worth saying as well that you know my my own personal journey it didn't start in sort of 2004 or 2009 in terms of the multi-marathon stuff. I mean, I was running a lot of half marathons, 5Ks, 10Ks, not in not in any decent times whatsoever, but I'd been going out, you know, every weekend for years and years and, you know, sneaking in a local 5K or a 10K and sort of getting home, you know, before, before my wife was up sometimes. And so that had been, you know, I've been doing it for a long, long time. So that conditioning had happened over many years, actually, not just kind of five or six either. Yeah. But it shows you what the body's capable of doing. And like you're not aware of that and people around you aren't. And then when actually the results materialize, it sort yeah. of inspires a different level again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it is, it's phenomenal. You know, I never, it never ceases to, to amaze me what the human body and mind is capable of. And I think... That's what, especially these days, that I try to, to to sort of convey to people. That's very much what my own running organisation is about now, which is, you know, just trying to. It's just that nudge, isn't it? It's sowing that seed to people that actually you can put one foot in front of the other and you can achieve something through running. You know, you can you can be a runner. You know, you just got to go out the door. When you when you see somebody new coming into that. Um, group we'll talk about the phoenix running um in a wee while but you know their potential long before they do and yeah it's, it's quite an exciting feeling you know when somebody comes on board and you're like oh no i can't do this 5k or i can't do this 10k it's such a mindset but already you know <laughs> what's inside they just need a little bit of help to unlock that and be guided yeah. along that small step by step and I think it's remarkable the likes of the 24-hour and 100-mile races that we have that people 
and a lot of people have had on the podcast actually who have only just taken up running in their early 40s and next you know they're running with an island vest on or they're running for their national team in a 24 hour like that potential has been locked up in them their entire life so at the end of 2013 anyway i was i was going a bit deep there so bring it back (laughs) um the end of 2013 was a real cherry on the cake for you then in december because you went to run the seven and seven in california yeah i'm not surprised um you were running with a smile on your face apparently rick always run with a smile on his face (laughs) but um long beach california like what an amazing place but what an amazing result that you had yeah, I mean, I you know, I I sort of went over there. There were two, there were two seven in seven series back to back, and that was that. So it was my intention to do fourteen in fourteen, and that was again that was to to sort of partially to sort of top the year off and and try and add a little bit of volume to the end. And I went over there, and I'd, I'd I was a few weeks rest after Relentless by that point, so I'd kind of almost done my my thousand miles in a month's worth of training for this 10 in 10 without even knowing that that's what it would would be and i sort of rocked up there and i just i i i just i felt i felt sort of really just in the tip top shape and actually one event i'd done just before going to long beach was the hell of a hill so the five in five up in crikey i'm trying to think where it is now um so it's phil eccleston i don't know if you know phil eccleston it's his event it's called hell it's called hell of a hill and it's basically, and back then was the old route, so it was it was eight laps per day for five days, so forty laps up over the pike, and it just a brutal course. And and that it was that event that I was was in the absolute shape of my life off the back of Relentless. And I remember flying up and down those hills. So I, so I'd done that, and then and and just sort of performed well in that event. Went to Long Beach, California, sort of landed there on a on three different flat courses that were basically running along the beach we started at, the the event started at 7 30 i think it was each morning so it was still cool enough so i arrived there in the shape of my life with perfect running conditions on dead flat courses you know with really good conditioning and just and that and the rest is history really i mean i remember going out every single day and just being able to literally run within a few minutes of my PB pretty much every day, and it was uh, it was a br- you know it was a brilliant event, very small, very low key. Um, I made some lifelong friends over there that I still keep in touch with now, and um, yeah, ran through those ran, ran around those three different courses, alternated on most days I think, and. Um, yeah, and the rest is history, really. Yeah, but you had seven, seven of those marathons. You run sub three. Yeah, so so of of the fourteen, I think the first the first few maybe th- maybe four days or so were all were all over three, um, and then and then I sort of I guess hit my stride a, a little <laughs> bit, and um, and then for the for the ten in ten record, I think I think off the top of my head, it was something like uh, like days sort of four to 13 or something like that with it with a 10 consecutive that that we took the, the best times from basically and of those seven of them were were sub three three were the other side of three um and, and the average time overall for those te- for that block of 10 was two fifty nine thirty. so so i squeezed under 
by 30 seconds per marathon or five minutes. So overall time was 29 hours. I think 29 hours, 54, 56 or something like that. I've done my head. So, um, it's unbelievable, so yeah, though, isn't it? Like, you know, to, to have 10 marathons in a row with an average of 254 or whatever it was, under three hours anyway, like, it, it's unheard of. Even, you know, back then, it's remarkable. Yeah, and I mean, uh, well, I, yeah, and I, I suppose that, you know, I surprised myself in some <laughs> ways. And, um, you know, and I've never, I mean, I think people sort of say to me, oh, you know, how did you, how did you, get faster how do you get faster etc and i think thing especially in america what was quite interesting during that trip is that quite a lot of the other competitors and people that sort of came and, and saw me sort of running up and down because they were lapped courses you know along the seafront so people sort of watching you the whole time and sort of watching you just run at one pace you know almost almost the whole time you say oh you know and I think the thing in America is they they seem to think that you must have you must have discovered something. So they you know they, there must be a magic elixir or something like that. And I got asked that a lot in America, which is you know they wanted to know if I was gluten free, what I was doing for this, you know, questions I didn't really understand <laughs> if I'm honest. And one of the things I think I realised over there was actually, you know, for me personally, there was no secret. You know, there was nothing I particularly did. Um, but one of the things I realized that I had been prepared to do and had really done throughout my whole my whole running career was I just worked really hard. You know, I was always prepared to put the mileage in. I was always prepared to put the training in. And 2013, I averaged 103 miles a week every week for the whole year. You know, that was my part. Part of that was 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 some you know, some of it was training, not very much. A lot of it was just the marathons. But what I did throughout the whole 2012 2013 period when i look back at my spreadsheet i didn't miss a single training run or a single planned run for nearly two years so you know not one you know if if, if i needed to be somewhere i needed to go out the door i went out the door so it was it was a lot of pig-headed determination and hard work and so when they start asking me what the secret was and i thought well actually yeah, there isn't one you know i'm not i'm not you know i was never a naturally talented runner i'm not a particularly good runner but what i did do was just work really hard um and I guess had a pig-headed refusal to give up at the end of the day. Yeah. But, um, pig, pig ignorance is one large part of the ingredients. There's no doubt about that. Like. It certainly is, yeah. It certainly <laughs> is. What about recovery then? Because that's one thing that's sort of going around in the back of my head there. Because you're obviously a very focused and determined. I'm assuming it's not something you ignored. Because you, you, no. you have to keep balance and keep focused on keeping your body in some decent shape for it to keep on performing. Yeah, I mean, when I guess when you get to the stage, especially in sort of late, late 2013, where I was literally running, I think I ran a marathon every day for, near, you know, for something like, um, I think it was about 70 marathons in like 100 days or something. So there's very few, very few rest days. <laughs> and for me, I suppose, actually, if you think about it, the one the one thing that was a little bit of a, a magic potion for me was a 10 minute, 10 minute ice bath or, or cold bath. So what I always did whenever a bath was possible, and actually that includes during the Irish 10 in 10 in Six Mile Bridge, they put a great big perspex, I don't even know what it was, like an old fish pond outside. <laughs> and we filled that with water. And so as soon as I possibly could after running, I'd get myself in the, into the cold bath, cold as possible water, rarely had ice in it, but just a cold bath for 10 minutes. And that was always a, a good recovery. To, it worked for me, you know, yeah. it, it, it worked for my legs. And other than that, it would—it was nothing particularly 
Um, you know, I, I wasn't really one for the kind of the so much for gels and potions and stuff like that, although I did use running gels, etc. But um, but some protein as soon as possible. So an SIS strawberry milkshake as soon as possible after finishing. So a protein recovery and an ice bath. Just and nice was, and simple. Yeah, nice no, and simple. No big air boots, no big massive protein shakes every hour on the hour, no, no. no X, Y, and no. Z. No sleeping in a, ga a glass casket for like 12 hours a night. Or... No, none of that. <laughs> none of that. <laughs> but it is, it's remarkable because you are an ordinary person. And I mean that in the right, in the right sense. You are... You are me, you are the people that are listening on this. Do you know what I mean? But it doesn't work unless you do the work. Yeah, I mean, I was just saying, you know, there's, there's, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm a totally kind of average person. There is nothing special about me whatsoever when it comes to running. You know, I don't have any natural talent. I never have had any natural running talent. And I think, you know, from time to time, you sort of, you read these stories, don't you, about these guys that can allegedly run forever and they've got something physiologically you know different about them and 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 you know and that's just i rarely believe that's ever the case but that is absolutely not the case with me you know there's nothing special about me i just i was prepared to put in the mileage and the hours and there's a lot of sacrifice comes with that as you know as, as you'll know you know you have to sacrifice time time with your family and that's why 2013 ended up being such a big year for me because i had that kind of you know had a bit of a deal with my wife right uh, you know you kind of support me for a for a big year and then you know and then the running kind of takes takes sort of second place to to family and everything else which it has ever since and um and yeah i think it's just you know the one thing within all of that is that anybody can achieve anything in running really that is that is my belief you know i passionately believe that and that is absolutely anybody can do it absolutely anything that can you know anybody can achieve it and if you think about it, actually, in some ways, the thing that is so special about running is that there's nothing special about it at all. You know, <laughs> it is literally I mean, anybody can do it. It's one foot in front of the other, you know, and every single person with a working pair of legs has already done slow running. They call it walking, you know. So and if you you know, the world over, we celebrate a child's first steps, don't we? You know, it doesn't matter what country you come from. You know, it's 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 a it's a thing to celebrate. And so running is just fast walking, isn't it? So if if you can already do it and and, you know, and then you can be nudged to maybe do it a little bit more, then I think that's a good thing. I think running is, you know, it's genuinely good for your soul, you know, or it was it, put it this way. It was good for my soul. You know, it made me made me feel like a runner and um, and good things came for me from doing it. And so, you know, if. If I can encourage just one other person to perhaps stick a pair of trainers on and go out and discover this kind of, you know, this fast walking thing that they call running, then um, then then that's a good thing, you know. Usually I would end the podcast on a lovely big speech like that. About a cue <laughs> for a finish. But again, you're not getting away that easy. <laughs> the the seven events, that that was beautiful by the way, but the seven events in Long Beach, that was the world record. Um, for 10 and 10 and you've done it in sub 30 hours which is amazing Um, where did your mind I know you had to your wife was supporting you that year and it was a big year of selfishness because <laughs> yeah. it is when you when you're running that amount of miles Um, in 2014 then you decided to run London in the cowboy suit I'm really intrigued with that story because it's your avatar or whatever you want to call it on your Facebook page <laughs> so yeah, I want to hear about that chafing because come well, on like well, a pair of jeans 
so it's an interesting one. So so I had I had done the the ten in ten record in December twenty thirteen, and I had put all my paperwork in. And as far as I was concerned, you know, we we had the you know I had the times, I had everything that was required. And then because there was um, let's just say a bit of an investigation going on for some of the volume world records that had been allegedly being set across the pond. What Guinness did was they effectively, they received all my paperwork, but they said, look, we, we are, we're doing this investigation. We're changing a lot of the criteria. So there might be a slight delay. Normally you'd expect to hear back in, in 12 weeks. And I thought, okay, fair enough. You know, that's, that's, that's not a problem. You know, clearly I've got, I've got nothing to worry about, but there's going to be a delay. And I, and I really wanted to try and set a record. And I'd had it in my mind that I would also apply for a more fun record and do something at London. And so I had already applied at that point for a, for a fancy dress record, so doing the cowboy one. And I'd applied for that previously. Uh, so I got it set up for London and then went there, had all of my kit ready to go. And, of course, as is often the case with London, having now done it, nine odd times is it always seems to be hot i don't know what it is about london but you have a <laughs> brutally cold winter and then you rock up at london and you get like the hottest day of the year so i turned up up onto the green uh, in the green start in my cowboy suit and sure enough it was the sun was already out and it was blazing hot um and i'd never run a, a sub three at london and i really wanted to do two things that day i wanted to 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 just get a sub three at London. I was already thinking about starting to sort of wind down the number of marathons that I was running, or I had already wound it down quite a lot. So I thought, right, if I can get my sub three and the Cowboy world record, that would be great. The record I had to beat was 325. So I felt reasonably confident. And um, and I was on track until about probably about 20 miles in. And then it just, yeah, the chafing you've mentioned was just horrendous. Cause I was running in, I was running in a set of blue jeans and a set of chaps. <laughs> so, you know, running in jeans would have been bad enough, but you slap a set of leather chaps on top of them. And uh, yeah, trust me, the, um, you know, I think riding, riding a horse with a saddle for three hours would have probably been more comfortable, but um, it wasn't a, it wasn't a pretty sight. And I remember, I remember coming along embankment and thinking, right, you know, the three hour mark had gone by then and it was just a case of finishing, you know, as it often is at that point in London. You think, I just want to get to that. And you, you come along embankment, you can see Big Ben, you take a hard right at Big Ben and then you've probably got, I don't know, 800 meters or something like that, maybe a kilometer left. And you just want it over with. And, and a few years later, somebody somebody sent me a photo or put a photo on Facebook and said, Hey, there was some other conversation going on. Someone said, Hey, I saw you in the clothes. And they posted this picture and it just, it epitomizes exactly how I felt at that point. It was just after you take that hard, right. And somebody who at that point didn't know had caught me in a picture and I just <laughs> looked like I want to cry. You know, I was, my posture is all wrong. I'm leaning forward. You know, all of the things that just tell you that you're just, exhausted and um and yeah so it, it it was it was a horrible last couple of miles but um but i got around i think in 309 or something like that so so i got the record and and it was a nice experience actually because with uh, there were only two marathons i think on the planet where you can actually go and set a world record there and the world record is immediately rat ratified and that's london and toronto 
I don't know why it's those two events, but I'm sure I'm sure that's right because what happens at those two races is that they bring all the adjudicators with them. So Guinness effectively line the course. They have I don't know 50 people who are gonna, you know, gonna try and set a record dress from a well, toilet to a body part to, to whatever you know to a cowboy, and so they watch you as you go around the course and you can't remove any part of your kit. So if I took my hat off, then you know you effectively can nullify because you've got to run dressed as a cowboy for the whole time. So so they do all the adjudication there and then. And the minute you cross the line, they have a, a, a sort of a van there and they do a quick cross check to make sure that your time is faster than the previous record. And then you literally get presented with your certificate there and then. And that's so that is my pretty much my profile picture. Yeah. <laughs> where um where you know and that's a really nice experience yeah, it's a really nice experience actually rather than having to sort of submit paperwork and then as turned out with the 10 in 10, it actually took 14 months to ratify that. So I had all but written it off and thought, well, I'm probably never going to hear about that again. And then, you know, ironically, um, having done the 10 in 10 record first and the Cowboy record, I think five or six months later, it was then another seven or eight months or whatever it was before I then found out I had set the original 10 in 10 record. So, um, good but yeah, the, the London experience was great. You know, it was a good experience. So how many marathons have you ran to date? And ultra 323. 323. And the, yeah, 323. And the last time I ran a marathon was 2016. So I went back to London in April of that year for that, that unfinished business with a sub three. And again, I, I'd, I'd already wound my running down an awful lot by then i did some training in the in in the sort of january february to try and have a, a last ditch attempt at the sub three at london and i think i got around 315 and i 316 i think it was and i again t up until about 20 miles it was reasonably okay and looking possible and then i fell apart in the last in the last sort of six miles or so which just it, purely a purely a symptom of not having enough miles in my legs for that kind of pace for that kind of distance it's ironic so I, isn't it it's ironic i knew exactly everything. what was happening you yeah. know i knew exactly what was happening at the time and so i think um and i think i did one i did one down at um down in kent i think a few weeks after that but yeah so that was the last time i ran a marathon was 2016 um because you started up phoenix running then didn't you what year did you start that was that so phoenix running started in 2014 yeah, so tell me a little bit about that. So that was that was, I guess, born off the back. So I wound my own running right down in 2014, um, and the last kind of big event I did, I went out did Comrades in uh, in the summer of that year, and then sort of got back from the, from there, and decided that I I needed to stay, you know, I needed to stay in touch with the running community, and I wasn't going to be doing anywhere near as much running myself. So I thought, well, you know, maybe we'll We'll put on a maybe we'll put on a race, you know. And towards the tail end of that year, November and December, we actually put two races on in the first year, and then I think it was three races in the second year. And even back then, I mean, it's not that long ago, but even back then, there were far fewer races that, than than there are today, and there was virtually nobody doing the that kind of format. So we started off purely with marathons and and half marathon actually, but the first two years was was just marathons so it was almost all the people that i knew and had been running with that then signed up and came and did our events and we did lapped formats up and down the thames toe path four laps and it just it just sort of took off really and and that's when i think i realized that 
you know, you start meeting a whole different sort of person because when I was running, I would rock up, run as fast as I could for three, three and a half, four hours and then get in the car and go home because I needed to get back and sort of try and keep my wife happy, etc. And so I didn't I didn't interact with people in the same way. And right from the get go with Phoenix running, I absolutely loved the, the personal interaction and I loved kind of watching people running and spotting the different styles and a bit like you said earlier you sort of you 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 see somebody think oh you know if you just did that you could really unlock some potential and I certainly wouldn't like to claim in you know from any perspective that that I would know anything about coaching somebody but I guess you 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 learn don't you get your own experiences and you think to yourself actually do you know what when I was doing that and I did this and you start chatting to people and so the whole Phoenix running thing was was born from trying to encourage other people to go running and and absolutely anybody as going back to what I said earlier can do it and that that's the real ethos of Phoenix running is it's not it's not for fast runners it's not for slow runners it's for all runners and it's for non runners as well you know come along and have a look you know come along and walk a lap and if that inspires you which i know it sometimes does to then think I'll do another lap, another lap. One of the best things about race directing at Phoenix Running is when you get people doing their first marathon or their first accidental marathon. And people say to me, what on earth are you talking about? How could somebody accidentally run a marathon? And you know what? They do it almost every single one of our events. It happens. And certainly somebody accidentally runs a half marathon or their furthest ever distance every, every time we hold an event because they come along and there's great camaraderie and there's a core group of people that know each other who are all really welcoming at our events. And as long as you make the start line, you know, as long as you take that step and come along and make the start line and just go out and try a lap, chances are next time we see you, you'll be doing your first 10K. And chances are, give it a month or two, you might be thinking about doing your first half marathon. And then eventually, almost inevitably, the wind will be blown in the right direction on a certain day. And you'll come and you'll have intended to run a half marathon and then you do another lap and then we nudge you out for lap number six and then oh maybe you're doing all right so how about lap number seven and nobody stops at seven do they of course they don't (laughs) so get out there and do number eight you know and you know and that's that's the best thing you know is when you see people we see people achieve something first of all that they never thought was possible and you see that look of absolute joy on their faces when they you know when they realize that they've just done their first marathon because marathon is you know it's a magic distance isn't it and um and it's just fabulous yeah it's fantastic when you see that and i get as a race director i get to see that pretty much all the time now obviously not for the last few months because we're you know we're all struggling with not being able to go to organized events but i get to see that all the time and it's just it's just brilliant yeah it is pretty unique there what you've built though and the word that just screams out is community yeah you know and that's what it's a magical thing if you can build a community and that's really what it is it doesn't really matter how fast or how far they're all there to support each other in that running community um last year i ran just to relate to what you said there um uganda marathon and there was people there that were doing the 10k people doing the half and some of us were on the marathon and we spent the week together first before the race and there wasn't one person that didn't run the marathon at the end of it. You know, <clears throat> like I know a girl who had done a 10K and she told me that morning, I'm going to go for the half. And I remember giving her a big hug 
And at the end of the event, when I was getting my legs rubbed, a friend came down. And I said, well, where's, where's she at? Where's Emma at? She goes, she's doing the full. And I was like, what? Yeah. What? Brilliant. And the That's exactly it. You know, and the amount of tears that there were that night when they come across the line and they just couldn't believe it. Like so everybody had done it. So it really encompasses everything you were saying there about the community and the encouragement and that you get from each other. Um, we're going to call that the Rick Trap from now on. Oh, you <laughs> fell into the Rick Trap. You came here to do a half and you're going home with a full medal. Um, so things are starting to open up slightly. Have you any... Because I've seen your medal for the virtual... <laughs> the virtual. I don't even know what you call it. A medal. If you've got a, a boat, you could take the... Yeah. You could you take the wheel steer. off the boat and you could steer a boat with this thing. Like It was massive. Like, um, But have you any big events coming up that are now open to the public to come to? Right now, at this point in time, no. We've, we've got entries open to all our events from the 1st of August. So you could go onto our website and you could. we've got an event, actually, that has been planned for a long time, which is on the 1st of August. So you could go onto our website and enter that event right now. If people are sending me an email and messages and sort of asking me, which they are, should I go and enter that event, then counter to what you would ever normally say to somebody, I would actually say to people right now at this point in time, probably not. And the reason is, is that, as of course you will know, is, I mean, we operate very strictly under UK athletics. Everything is effectively banned until the end of July. And of course, the first of August is is only one day after that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so, let's go. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I suspect we will find out in a in a week or two's time when we're into July what what the plan is. I hope, like the rest of the running community, I desperately hope that there will be some more easing of the restrictions. And I think at the moment, I know there are one or two races that I've just started to think about happening with staggered starts with five people and we like i guess everybody else you know i've spent tens if not hundreds of hours on a variety of plans and risk assessments that go to the nth degree and involve everything from you know remote uh, registering to you know facebook briefs to um, staggered starts you know aid station covid proof aid stations you know we've 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 tried to think of every single thing and some of those things we will inevitably have to put in place when we do come back to running and i desperately hope that that is in august but i think until there's a little bit more easing what what i keep asking myself as as a race director is it's not so much about probably when we can come back because you can come up with a plan to circumnavigate yeah. absolutely anything. You know, literally you can. It's it's really about when it's the right when it's right to come back. And our most of our routes, not all of them, but a lot of them are, you know, they use public, you know, public access. The Thames Path is obviously public. There's a whole host of extra permits you need to run on the Thames Path. So I don't even think at this point we would get the required permits, even if we, you know, to be able to host an event. I think as soon as we can, we will want to put some sort of event on. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to come, I don't want to ruin it for everybody else. You know, I don't want to come back and, and for there to be some sort of incident. And because of that, actually, it ends up one step forward, five steps back. And what we have to what we have to take into consideration is everybody's safety. So not just the runners, but in particular the general public. Because if you're running up and down a towpath with that's two meters wide, then it's very difficult to 
mm. you know, to to uh, have social distancing, and then you got somebody out kind of walking their dog. So it's it's just so difficult, so difficult at the moment. And I think the minute we can get back to it, we will. But we will we will try and do it as safely for everybody as we possibly can. Yeah, no, it is important not to rush it back. It is important for all the runners yeah. to be patient with race directors and understand. And it's hard because they don't yeah. they don't realize how complicated it was before COVID. They think they were just right. registering and lining up, but yeah. there's so much that goes on: risk assessments, getting approvals. But now the whole dynamic has totally changed. So we do have to be patient with race directors, and things potentially that they haven't thought of may go wrong. And it's yeah. important just to be patient around those and take the learning and move forward. Because um, simple things, like I remember I was at a half marathon just as this was happening, just bef- it was one of the last half marathons. And I went over to the table and said, look, I think you should take them jelly beans off the table. Because yeah. I seen yeah. about 50 hands going in, <laughs> you know, and we're going it's to right. lockdown. I'm like, simple little things that you wouldn't have thought of before. And we're creatures of habit, so we're going to fall back into those. Um, yeah. But And I know it's the same going back into workplaces and all, you know, you, people get scrutinized no matter what the work um guys have done to make it covid safe and fr- friendly so we're going into a new era so we have to get it right we have to take our time yeah. to get it right but we need to be patient with everybody and um, one thing i was just just to finish on um because you've done a lot you do a lot of diving as well and you've done mapping and charting of shipwrecks and you have a few books out there um on that why have you no book on running it's a good <laughs> it's a good question i mean i've I guess, I, I mean, I've written a lot of stuff about running. So I've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of words on, you know, that nobody's ever read on my laptop. <laughs> Maybe I should think about it at some point. I mean, I did, I chronicled a lot of my stuff, particularly stuff during things like Relentless and particularly during 2013, because I spent a lot of time in between running, you know, sitting in, in hotels or in or in cars and things like that. And actually... I did spend a lot of that time chronicling stuff. So I have got, you know, probably a few hundred thousand words on my laptop. So do you know what? If anybody wants to come and kind of have that and try and put it into some semblance, then actually, ironically, the content is probably there. But I just haven't I just haven't got around to doing it, I suppose. What, what would you call the book? <sighs> do you know what? I have no idea. I, I was really... I was really t- I was, I'm, I was trying to move towards the, one of those moments of the seed being planted. You know, it's like, come on, Rick. Yeah. I'm going to give you, you a shake what? here. And if you could come out with a name, then you're halfway there. Yeah. Do you know what? I think it, it's, it, it's not often I'm stumped for words, as you've probably noticed. But I think, <laughs> I think actually, if it was going to be, if it was going to be called anything, it would probably be, if I can do it, so can you. Something like that, you know, okay. or if I can do it, anybody can do it. So if I can do it, anybody can do it on the shelves in two years' time, April 2022. <laughs> you missed your chance now with COVID. You've been in lockdown for the last couple of months. It's Come right. on, Rick. Kick up the ass. Um, <laughs> heard it. Credit to Robbie Marsh <laughs> for making it happen. Heard it here first, folks. Rick, that was excellent. I really enjoyed that little journey. Like I stepped through it um, step by step with you. It was amazing. I'm actually going to publish this now, so it'll be up in about five, about five o'clock. Great. Okay. Well, because you know. you're, you're looking so well, I'm going to put a video up as well. I think. It really, you know, really good to speak to you. Yeah, really good to talk to you. Hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Rick is an amazing character. He's had some unbelievable achievements through his running career. Really looking forward to reading that book. 
check them out at phoenixrunning.co.uk. The best types of race directors are those who are in for the passion of the sport, and Rick is very much that. Before I go, one last shout out for the Finn McCool Challenge. It's going to be epic. It starts on the 10th of July, 1350 kilometers in 16 days. You can enter as a team of four. We just opened up the event for teams of two and three people, so no excuse. Join us for the virtual tour through the 32 counties of Ireland. You'll find a link to enter in the show notes, so make sure you click in before it's too late. Our next week's guest, Alex O'Shea, actually ran 32 marathons in the 32 counties of Ireland in 15 and a half days. So there's some great motivation for our event. So until next week, stay safe and keep on moving.